Hi, everyone, and welcome back to How to College for First Gents, our podcast where we get together with friends to talk about what it's like to be a first-generation college student before, during, and after college. On today's episode, we will have a discussion with Carolina, one of my good friends from grad school, to talk about what it's like to apply to PhDs or doctors in philosophy as undocumented or DACA students. So let's just lay the foundation here. A PhD is a doctorate of philosophy. No, it does not mean you are a doctor like a physician, right, who operates on on bodies or on humans. And it does not mean that you have to get it in philosophy. That's just the way that they word it, a doctorate in philosophy. So essentially what this means is that after your undergraduate degree, whether you get a bachelor's in arts or science, then you go on to obtain even more education in a specialized area. So as Luz discussed in her master's episode, you go on and do a master's and then you go on and do a doctorate. Sometimes you do them as two separate programs, the way Caro will explain to us today, but sometimes right after your undergraduate degree, you can go straight to a PhD program where getting a master's is embedded in the curriculum. So that's just a little bit about what a PhD is. It usually takes anywhere probably from four to seven years. The first two years, as Kato will explain, you sort of go and do some general classes and then you have to take a big test. And then after that, you begin specializing on your area of research. Usually you go to a specific university to work with a faculty as many of you know out there, there are some special circumstances that have to be taken into account when you're applying as an undocumented or or as a DACA student. So that is what today's episode will be focused on with Carolina from My Undocumented Life. So let's get started. Hi, Carolina. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Thank you, Norma. I'm doing well. I'm glad to be here. So before we dig into what it's like to apply to PhD programs as undocumented DACA folks, why don't you tell our audience a little bit about you? Yeah, definitely. So my name is Carolina Valdivia, and I was born and raised in Mexicali, Mexico. But I came to the United States when I was 12 years old, and so I grew up in San Diego after that. And so I navigated, and I'm sure we'll get to talk a little bit more about this, I navigated middle school, high school, college as an undocumented student. And then for graduate school, I did my master's in sociology. And at that point, I was undocumented, except for the last semester I had DACA. After that, I went on to get a PhD from Harvard University. And so I recently graduated from there. So yeah, that's a little bit about me and my educational trajectory. I've never met somebody who's such an underachiever, Carolina. Way to go. Congratulations, all jokes aside. You have done amazing things in your career and your trajectory is just like none other. And I happen to know that you have a new job. So tell us a little bit about that job. I'm currently a UC President's Postdoctoral Fellow at UCLA. And then in the summer, I'll start as an assistant professor in the Department of Criminology at UC Irvine. So I'm very excited to go ahead and start that and start teaching a couple classes on immigration as well. And we'll dig into a little bit of that. But just so our audience know, academia is 
a hard, hard field. So the fact that you have such a prestigious position says nothing but amazing things about you and your work. But before we go there, why don't you tell us a little bit about at the beginning of your educational career, at what point did you know you were undocumented and yet you still decided to go through the educational route? So I would say I definitely knew since I first migrated to the United States, but I didn't really know what it actually meant until like once I got older. And so I think the first one of the first roadblocks was realizing that I couldn't apply for federal financial aid. And so that definitely shaped like the different colleges that I applied to. I did get accepted to like several universities, but then I was finding out that because I wasn't going to be able to access federal financial aid, I was going to have to pay tuition all by myself and, and also realizing that I couldn't legally work. And so that just made it really difficult for me to be able to actually like attend the college that I was accepted to. In the end, I, with the help of like mentors and then also myself and my family, knowing like that college was important, I ended up deciding to go to Casa San Marcos, where I did a double major in sociology and criminology. And I mean, it turned out great. And it was a fantastic experience there. And I made the most of it in terms of like doing well in classes, doing an internship, started to organize at that point for a couple of immigration-related organizations on campus. And so it kind of came full circle then, but it was definitely a challenge being able to even access college and also stay in college and successfully graduate because every semester was like a financial hurdle for me. So then you finally go on to graduate from college and you still don't have DACA. So what are your options at that point? You have this beautiful, shiny diploma, but you can't practice it so what go through your mind at that point so it was definitely like my fourth and last year of undergrad where I had already been doing like an internship organizing and also had gotten some research experience through one of my longtime mentors Dr. Marisol Carquibanez at Cocteau San Marcos and she was the one who like since day one she brought me on on like research projects first as like a participant and then that's how I learned about her and her work and then later once the project expanded and they were recruiting researchers and then that's when I signed up as a student researcher and so when I met with her at that time I like that's when I started realizing like wow like I just I want to be able to keep doing research in order to deepen our understanding about the challenges affecting undocumented folks and their families and so I remember we had like a meeting where she was helping me figure out like a career plan. And at that point, like I didn't really know you, one, that you could get a PhD, especially if you're undocumented. And then that that could then lead me on to become a professor and be able to teach at a university. And so she was kind of the one that connected the dots for me of like me saying, I love to keep doing research, teaching, working with students and knowing that like, okay, for that, I need a PhD. And so then that's when I started looking into graduate school. I'm going to pause here for a second because we do have some of our audience who are still in high school. So I'm sure that everything you said might have gone a little bit over their head. Let's take a pause here and tell us what exactly is research and what did you like about it? There's very different ways of doing research. For me, what I do is more like the qualitative research. And so for that, people usually do like in-depth interviews, for example, where you sit one-on-one with people and you, you have an interview guide with you. So you have questions that you're asking them about. And research could also entail like observations, for example, or looking through legal documents or surveys. 
And so for me, I was really interested in learning more about like immigration and how people are being affected by our country's immigration policies and enforcement practices directly through the lens of like those directly affected. So for me, it was working one-on-one doing interviews with people who grew up undocumented and their family members. I could go on and on and on for hours, but this is like a snapshot. I think that was a great summary. So essentially, you are trying to answer a question or multiple questions, and then you have different avenues to answer those questions. And one of them could be interviews, data. For you, that issue was immigration and and how our legal system affects the individuals themselves. So then you go on and you decide you're going to get a master's, but master's are not usually paid for, right? In the way that PhDs are. So tell us a little bit about some obstacles, including the financial piece on getting a master's while still not having DACA. So because I, like I mentioned, I grew up in California. And so in California, we did have access to in-state tuition rates. So this is through AB or Assembly Bill 540, which passed in 2001 in California. And that allows eligible undocumented students to be able to pay in-state tuition fees as opposed to out-of-state tuition fees, which a lot of the times, like it could be three times as much with out-of-state. And so that was important for me because when I was applying to grad school, I did apply to some in-state and out-of-state programs. With grad school, I think the general advice is usually like apply anywhere and then you kind of decide what your options are and where it makes sense to go. But then when I was learning about the out-of-state schools, then a lot of those didn't come with financial aid. And on top of that, I would have to pay out-of-state tuition fees. And so for me, I was like, okay, for sure I'm staying in California because at least I could pay in-state as opposed to out-of-state tuition fees. But then, of course, that didn't really fully solve everything because it was still really expensive to go to graduate school and pay tuition and everything else. But like books, it just quickly adds up. And the California Dream Act also wasn't around. And I could go, I could talk about it as well if that would be helpful for folks. But basically, I I had to just like rely on a lot of fundraising. And this was like online and offline with another friend both to even like apply to graduate school and then also stay in graduate school. And so a friend and I who were both going through the process together, both as undocumented students, we ended up organizing a lot of fundraisers, whether it was like selling shirts, bracelets, pozole, tamales, like we were on it just to be able to like stay in grad school and also, well, first apply to it, to grad school programs because it could be like a thousand dollars or more for application. And then later to be able to stay and graduate from grad school. Yeah, so that's a little bit of like how we try to overcome some of the financial hurdles. So there are some people that go straight to PhD programs from undergrad, and there are some other folks that do a master's and then transition over to a PhD. Can you tell us a little bit about those differences and any recommendations you might have for our undocumented or DACA folks in that subject? Definitely. So I I should mention, like, when I first applied to grad school, I did apply to both master's and PhD programs because I knew that, like, a PhD program was my end goal. And I did get accepted to a couple of PhD programs. And one of them, like, it was, like, you do your master's in passing. So after the first two years, you have your master's and then you could um, keep going with your PhD. But those programs in particular were not offering me any financial aid. And so I like they weren't feasible for me and they were located outside of California. And so then that's kind of why I went the master route in the beginning. And it, it was also really helpful. And I think that's also 
really helpful for people who are, it's not necessarily a bad thing if you're going from undergrad to a master's. One, because maybe the career option that you're thinking of does only require a master's. And so that would be one route. But also, even if you're thinking of a PhD in the long term, the master's can also provide you with additional research skills, for example, that will then even strengthen more your PhD applications. So it could also be kind of like a step into your longer trajectory. So let's go down that route. Uh, Can you tell our audience what exactly is a PhD? Mm -hmm. For a PhD, you definitely like PhD programs. At least I'm going to speak to the social sciences where I'm most familiar with it, like fields like sociology, for example, or anthropology, etc. And so... It's typically associated with like your first two years, you're doing classes, and then you also, it usually involves like taking comprehensive exams. And that's usually like a reading list that you get from your department that's testing your knowledge about a field that you're interested in or the broader fields of sociology or the given discipline, for example. And then after that, you will get the opportunity to do your own research, which will culminate in a um, dissertation. And so that could take anywhere from like three, plus years and so really it's, it's training you to be a scholar um, for the PhD route and then many folks do end up like after a PhD you're interested in like going into academia and so then you'll apply for for various professor type of jobs but there are other people who go into like more policy or nonprofits, for example after the PhD. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. So then you go on to grad school and you start this phenomenal website called My Documented Life. Tell us a little bit about that website and why did you start it? So I, when I first started it, this was back in 2011. And this was back when I was getting ready or when I was applying to graduate school. And part of the reason why, or the main reason why I started it is because at the time, because I was having to navigate the graduate school process as an undocumented student, I found out or I learned as I went that there were a lot of different like aspects of the application process that were not being covered by other programs or organizations or websites even at the time. And so I was having to learn a lot of like the ins and outs of like, okay, what do I put on the application when I'm not a U.S. citizen, but I'm also not an international student? Like what option do I put? Or who do I approach in a program to learn more about financial aid for undocumented students? Because a lot of the general information about graduate school at the time was about for folks who were either like had some access to legal protection, like U.S. citizenship or legal permanent residency or international students. And so I didn't I didn't quite fit into those two groups. And so I did get a lot of help from undocumented graduate students. A lot of them were in LA. And so I connected with them through offline events. And so they were they were incredibly helpful in even like helping me navigate that application process, but also like reading and giving me feedback on my personal statements, things like that. Because I received like such tremendous help and also because I knew that like there wasn't a place where you could easily access this type of information and I wanted to be able to give back to others as I was going through that process and just really tell people more about like the experience I was having the resources the tools that I was coming across and so then that's when I launched my undocumented life of course when it first started I only had like maybe like five readers, maybe just my family (laughs) and a couple of friends. And then now it's grown into so much more. We have like close to 2 million views on it. And so, yeah, so it's been, it's been quite the journey and I'm glad it's, it's reached 
so many, including like educators and counselors who are working directly with undocumented students, again, to like increase the, the number of undocumented students who are navigating through the educational pipeline. Yeah, in my opinion, I think it is one of the best websites with one of the best curated tools and resources. So we'll definitely link it in for our audience as well. So given all of the things that you've seen through my undocumented life and in your research, what do you think are like the top three misconceptions about undocumented DACA students applying to PhD programs? Yeah, no, definitely. I think it can be intimidating, like if you're an undocumented student and you're first looking into grad school, because as I mentioned, like so much of the information out there is not tailored for undocumented students. And you also have to figure out like, well, who do I even ask? Where do I even start? Many undocumented students may not know somebody who's actually gone on to graduate school. And so it can be a very intimidating and confusing and stressful experience to even dive into. And so I would say, Like the number one myth is like knowing that, yes, undocumented students can go to graduate school, even if you don't have DACA. Yes, it will be more challenging, but there are various resources out there like fellowships, for example, that are open to undocumented students. The other myth, of course, is around funding. And so with PhD programs, it is typically, it typically comes with funding and that can come from different sources. Like maybe it's a scholarship coming from the university level or the department level, or maybe it's a teaching assistantship. So you're, you're teaching classes and then you get a stipend attached to that that will allow you to pay for your own living expenses while you're completing the program. Or maybe it's a research assistantship. So there are various ways to try to fund graduate school if you're an undocumented student. It just it is a lot of like researching that has to be done as you're looking into programs. And one thing that I would say with that too, I think it's like one of the main reasons also why it's important to think about graduate school. Like as you're as you're looking into grad school programs, definitely consider like both public and private universities because some private universities may have more flexibility in terms of how they allocate their funding to students who are admitted into grad school programs. And so look into your different options in terms of like public and private, but also in state and out state. And to the extent that you can, I always tell people like my number one piece of advice is definitely connect with other undocumented grad students who either like are currently enrolled or recently graduated because they can always share with you like the their own unique experience, what they did, how they disclosed their immigration status, for example, really walk you through all the ins and outs that are associated with applying and also graduating from grad school. Yeah, I think those are really good myths that you're demystifying for us. What do you think, just based on what you've seen, what do you think is the number one mistake that undocumented or DACA people make while they're doing their PhD applications? I would say like one of the biggest challenges I know for undocumented students as they're thinking about grad school is feeling like I I feel like a lot of us struggle with leaving home for a PhD or even a master's because with a master's where you are looking into like anywhere from one to three years with a PhD is a lot longer. So you're looking into like five, seven, eight years. And so I know for a lot of undocumented students, myself included back then, like it was really difficult being okay with leaving home because at the time I was 
like in San Diego and then having to go for my PhD in Boston all the way across the country that was the first time ever that I was like moving away from home and I know like from the hundreds of students that I've talked to through workshops or one-on-one mentorship or emails things like that I know that that's like one of the the top things that always comes up and it's understandable and it's reasonable and I think for a lot of folks it's because it's like a sense of responsibility but also because the experience is imbued with the fear of deportation and feeling like you have to be near just in case anything happens, like you want to be there to support your family. But I would say definitely think of this as like a a, a very unique opportunity that will enable you to then help your family even more in the future. And so if it means making this sacrifice temporarily of moving away from home, the time will fly by and you can, of course, hopefully try to visit as much as possible with your family. But, but try to also keep the long-term benefits that may come from you going into like the best program possible, even if it requires you to have to move out of state. And that is because when you're looking at PhD programs, Carolina, you are essentially looking to work with the faculty, right? And so I'm guessing that the faculty really matter and like having a, a good advisor. So maybe prioritizing the faculty, the department, and then maybe the environment as opposed to the location. Would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So when you're, when folks are looking into graduate school programs, definitely, as you mentioned, like think about the faculty that you would like to see yourself working with that, that are doing the type of research that you like to do. Think about funding, of course. Think about the different pathways that people who've completed that program gone into and if it aligns with what your career goal is. And also like the type of resources that are available there, the classes that they offer and whether they help you achieve your goals. And so, yes, that's why, because all of those things are so important to advancing your career and then the being able to find something like after you graduate, being able to find a job after you graduate. That's why location, yes, it's important, but try to think of all these other factors as well that are specific to like PhD programs. Totally. Yeah, that makes sense. So here in the last couple of minutes, can you just tell our audience what they should expect when they log into your website? What kind of resources are there and how have you categorized them? So I would encourage people to definitely check out in the top menu bar. We do have a an area where it's just education. And so there it's for any information, like if you're an undocumented high school student thinking about college, we have resources there. And that includes scholarships or advice from undocumented college students on like how to apply to college or how to navigate college, things like that. So it's broken down by educational level. So from high school to college, from college to grad school, and then once you're in grad school. So definitely check out the education tab. And the other main ones that you'll see on there is also DACA. So I know that that will have information about like DACA renewal funds, for example, or the pro- the process of applying to DACA and uh, like advice on on applying for it. So I would say like those are the two main ones. But of course, I, I welcome everyone to really browse through the various resources that are featured on the website. Well, that is phenomenal. I totally want to be respectful of your time. And I'm so glad that at least we got a chance to have you for a little bit here on the podcast for you to tell us about the amazing resources you've curated for everyone. And if people are interested in connecting with you or your team, where can they find you? Feel free to email me at myundocumentedlife at gmail.com. And then we're also on Facebook. So 
definitely check it out there too because we try to post any news with regards to immigration and I know there's a lot coming our way with the new administration and so definitely stay stay tuned for everything that's to come through our Facebook and then email if anyone has any questions. Wonderful. And then lastly, any words of inspiration for any of our undocumented DACA folks who are out there and obviously look up to you with your great accomplishments? Anything that you want to leave them with? Any inspiring words? Yeah, definitely. Thank you, Norma. I would say don't feel like you have to do this alone. I know that so much of like the undocumented experience is associated with feelings of stress, isolation, and anxiety, for example. But definitely, please reach out to others whenever you need help, whenever you're struggling, having a challenge. Definitely reach out to other people that you trust so that they can help you and guide you and support you along the way. Perfect. With that, we thank you so, so much for being a part of our episode on graduate programs. And I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you, Norma. So that's it, folks, for the day. Thank you all so much for joining us. As we learn through today's episode, there are many reasons why you might want to consider a PhD Please note that your immigration status should not be a deterring factor as there are many resources for undocumented and DACA folks out there to be able to pursue a PhD if that is what you all want to do. Just to recap, here are five reasons why you might want to consider a PhD. Obviously, you can make a difference through your research. Keep in mind that if you are thinking about a PhD, you have to love research or at least like it enough to do it for a living. You are there to make a contribution to a field that you choose. So keep that in mind. I would also say that teaching is an important part of having a PhD as your job later on will entail both the research and the teaching part. Keep in mind that reason number two might be that you might want to become an expert in the field and do groundbreaking research to advance the field. Number three, I would say a PhD allows you to broaden your career opportunities. I know a lot of folks do go into academia and do go into teaching, but I also know that at my company, we also recruit PhDs quite heavily because there is a skill set that we're looking for specifically. Obviously, number four, you can increase your salary potential. And then number five, you can accept opportunities and challenges that come along the way. A PhD is hard and we'll have another episode on how to survive PhDs, what it's like to actually do the process, but we just wanted to lay the foundation on why you might consider getting a PhD in the first place. So that's it for the day. Thank you all so much for joining us. Please don't forget to leave us a review, give us a like. We want to hear from you all to ensure that the content we are producing resonates and it is what you want to hear. Thank you once again for being our listener and until next time. <music>